I'm delighted to have Nadim Shahadi on the podcast. Nadim Shahadi, one one person. Let's give a round of applause. <laughs> this gentleman holds the record. The eighth oh, I, I episode we've had. Seven wow. on my podcast. Yes. One on MTV. Right. And the reason for that is I can talk to you about everything related to this country. But there are things we talk together that we can't talk in public. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar. This is the Beirut Banyan. Nadim. Yes. By way of introduction, your most recent position, you were executive director of LAU in New York. Right. You ran the Ferris Center for Middle East Studies at the Tufts University in Boston. Okay. You were at Chatham House. You're a regular writer at Arab News. And your most recent articles, I think, stand out because you're capturing the moment in every way possible. There's one issue that you haven't written about, and it's the most recent issue that we haven't discussed. Okay. I consider you an expert in sectarianism. And recent weeks, we went through what felt like the bad side of sectarianism. And I don't know if you were in the country when this happened, our separate time zones that emerged. For about three or four days, we were on two different time zones within the country. I felt like the ugly side showed very quickly, meaning voices calling for divorce, partition, communal anxiety, Christian decline being talked about in a way that's unflattering, and voices that want permanent separation. But then I can imagine you would have a different take on all of that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it was that, that ugly, basically. It was light entertainment in, in, in a way. And uh, sectarianism is very often in the eye of the beholder rather than uh, a reef. In fact, maybe I'm the only sectarian in the country. That, and if you ask anybody, they will tell you that they are secular and they want a, a civil state. Uh, and this includes Nabih Birri and Michel Aoun and Walid Jumlat and uh, you know, uh, almost everyone you've had in your podcast. So uh, well, but, I haven't had Walid Jumlat. You haven't had yet. No. You should. You should. <laughs> but, it reminds me of the one of the first guidebooks that came out on Lebanon after the war it was written by two ladies in Oxford. And they said, they talked about the dating uh, scene in Beirut. And they said that all Lebanese men are studs and all Lebanese women are virgins. 
So this someone, is in the guidebook. In the guidebook. So someone must be lying. <laughs> doesn't doesn't match. So so uh, uh, that's that's. I, I don't take sectarianism very seriously. I I I'm not alarmed ab about it. It's a, sometimes it's a healthy reaction, and we talk about it in Lebanon, which is which is good. And I don't think it really. We, we have, I mean, we have it. We when when we go through self-flagellation mode. We call ourselves sectarian, but everybody except you, usually, and sectarianism, and they blame sectarianism for everything. But I, I, I'm going to disappoint you there about sectarianism. You're not concerned in any way that there were calls for divorce as a result of a time zone difference. No, no. It was for me. It was light entertainment. It was just people jumping on, on, uh, yeah. It was, I, I did not, it was, I mean, people who were calling for divorce, and those who were calling for federalism and, and all that were calling for it before, and they seized the moment of this blunder that happened. Uh, and it was amplified by the media, and amazing jokes came out <laughs> about it. But uh, no. I'm, uh, I mean, it, it's not. Uh, I mean, people are calling for di for divorce, which is a legitimate call for for. for a legitimate. Yeah. Well, let's let's go down the road before we go back in time. I don't I, know that you consider that a legitimate expression. Yes, because basically, um, oh, is this is there a yeah? Could you just. Uh, Nadim, could you move the microphone closer to you? Closer or closer, as, as close as your mouth as possible without it being uh, awkward. Okay. Yeah. And uh, could you maybe turn down the uh, feedback? Yeah. So just like this. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's it's going to come in my eye. Yeah. Just talk. Yeah, there you go. Hey, okay. Yeah. Um, Does that sound better now? Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, basically, this country rests on a. An agreement or a social contract. It's, in fact, we had the social contract before we had the state. It's not the state that created the social contract. The state is built on 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 the on the social contract, and and um, and I always quote Cardinal Woolsey in in, in England, who was the advisor of King Henry VIII. He says that treaties are important because people sit with the intention of making them. So there's a goodwill to make them. So the terms of the treaty are, are not important uh, because the treaty will work if they're, if, because, they, because they sat and they had the goodwill. But when the goodwill goes, the treaty will break down and, and the terms are not important either because the terms are, will not bring back the treaty if it's broken if it's broken down so what we have we have a breakdown of our social contracts uh, which is built on which society is built and uh, of course some people are saying okay we'll we'll uh, we'll uh, let's divorce uh, on that. but i i'm not, i'm i'm against the call for uh, 
federalism in, the, in that sense. Okay, so you see it as a legitimate expression of an agreement that's not working due to many different problems. It's obvious that the agreement is not working. It's obvious that we've, we've collapsed because at least one major party is not playing the game. Uh, and 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 uh, um, so so I, uh, th that's that's what's causing it. Okay. Let me do two things. Let me refer to the past, but offer a view from your balcony. I've yeah. had the luxury of visiting your home. Yeah. Nadim lives just above Beirut. You live in Beit Midi, and you have an unobstructed view of the entire city. Yeah. And sunset in your home in itself is an event. But I've, I look at Beirut below, and I can imagine the Beirut that you grew up with yeah. that kind of view is not the Beirut of today. And the Beirut you grew up with is probably a different story from what your parents told you about. I'm guessing the city today is unrecognizable in many ways. Yeah. Do you I think of that in any way, shape or form as a byproduct of sectarian governance? No. No. So there's not there's no thread from sectarianism to decay. No, on the contrary, <laughs> the, the, the what you see, sectarianism is a negatively it's it's a negatively loaded word. Mm. It's it means sectarian tension, and people who describe the Lebanese system in a negative way call it sectarian, but in reality, it's a power sharing system. It's not a sectarian system. Sectarianism or tension rises when the power sharing agreement fails. So, so when you have an agreement for, for people to share power and live, live together, um, the, uh, when this fails, you have, you have sectarian tension. You have tension between communities. So there's a tension. consistency with or without prosperity or tragedy or decay that sectarianism is here to stay. If it exists. See, this is where I get sort of lost in the, in the yeah. journey, but I'm going to now go back in time because right. I'd like you to take us on that journey. You eloquently write often in Arab news and in many different ways on, on social media, you kind of hearken back to when Beirut became a metropole. And one of many, one of a few, sorry, but Beirut began to stand out at the turn of the century. And when I say metropole and, and cosmopolitanism, I really mean a refuge for any type of disenfranchised group, or minority, that sought shelter in this part of the world and sought economic gains in Beirut. Mm. I'm going to guess that that story is most central to the way you look at Beirut in terms of its role, that it's defined as that kind of place. And you can take me back as far as you'd like without going too far in time, that whether or not you see Beirut that way. I'll, I, I won't take you back to, I'll, I'll take you to, to Athens. To today. Athens, yeah? okay. Yeah. If you're sitting in Athens today, every week you hear of a family moving, a Lebanese family moving fr there from mainly from Lebanon or Damascus or, 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 or the, or the region. The, the, Athens is becoming a hub for people leaving the, tr the troubled area. Beirut was like that in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, people came to, to Beirut from southern Turkey, from Adana, from Skanderun, from Antioch, from 
Mardin, from uh, Biarbakr, all these areas. People came here from Syria, from Palestine, of course, from uh, Egypt, from Iraq, and and every wave brought with it a different experience, different cuisine, different uh, outlook. Uh, um, th that's what caused the the, ri the richness of of society in in Lebanon at, at that time. Uh, to give you an, an example, the people who came from Egypt had financial experience on the scale of trade of the Suez Canal or trade with or uh, uh, the the debt of the Khediv, the, the bonds that for the Khedival debt for the Sudan expedition. or So it was major international financial experience. Whereas here they were just trading houses of, for silk, which was in depression at, at the time la later. So, so the, so the uh, Beirut had seven banks in uh, 1945, 46, 47. And it had 93 banks in 1963. Sorry, say the numbers again. Nine. So there were, depending on how you define a bank, but there were there were sort of half a dozen banks, roughly. In 1940. In the, in the, in the late 40s, 1947. Yeah. Say. Yeah. By 1963, you had 90, 93 banks. So 15 years. 15 years. These are these are. This is money and expertise and know-how and contacts that came from all that that, that region, and oh, so uh, these I mean, are banks owned by regional. These are banks that brought that 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 were brought in because Beirut became the center of trade. In fact, Beirut became Beirut was. I mean, uh, you had a brilliant. Uh, session with, with Charles uh, on, on the history of Beirut. But there's one thing uh, that we, we made. Beirut became Beirut by accident. <laughs> What's this? This is supposed to be good news, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Nadim, just a little closer. Yes. Thank so, you. Yes. So Beirut became yes. uh, uh, rose again yeah. in the modern era by accident, basically. In the, in the 1830s, there was a need for a, a quarantine station. There was a regional Mediterranean sanitary commission led by the French, and they and they needed and there was cholera and there was uh, all sorts of diseases. And the messagerie maritime, the, the 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 big boats, were were not allowed to go to to ports which did not have a quarantine. And Saida refused to have a quarantine. Tripoli refused to have a quarantine. The quarantine was set up in Beirut, so all the um, uh, everything moved to to Beirut from Saida and from from Tripoli, and and. Uh, uh, so, uh, I mean, the, the consuls, the banks, the uh, trading houses, the, 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 uh, basically that's how, that's how Beirut grew. And after that, you started getting influxes of people from, uh, there was a big influx in the 1860s from Damascus, there was from the mountains, uh, and, and so on. So that's how, that's, so it was an accident of history that brought Beirut to, to become a metropole, if, if you like. Or, but or these, these numbers of accidents on the way yeah. that turn a fairly small 
Mediterranean town? Not, not fairly tiny, insignificant Mediterranean town that had been off the map for something like 1500 years. R right, and actually Charles Hayek mentioned this, the earthquake, the Roman earthquake, yeah. 551 AD, That's right. roughly 1400 years or so, an insignificant village, the way you're describing it. 5,000 people, three to 5,000 people. Very small. And then it explodes yeah. into something important. I'd like to posit that with the way you define sectarianism. Does that, is that indeed removing any emotion from that word for a moment? Is that what allowed all these kinds of communities and identities to feel at home here? I never use the word sectarianism. I am going to explain to you how it's how it's used. If you have a 20th century mindset, if you were educated in France, la samahallah, or something like that, where you think people should be, you know, different kinds of people should be brought together, you know, people who speak different languages have different uh, uh, cultures, different religions, and all that. You and you put them in a in a in a little machine and you crank it up. It's like a sausage machine, and you bring out French homogeneous citizens on the other side, like the, in the lycée, yani, like they they try to do in the, in the lycée. Um, then then diversity for you is abnormal. If you were brought up in, in, the, in the region here, and in many other regions, especially in, basically, we were part of an empire, and an empire is, an empire rules over many, many nations, in a, in a way. So if you were brought up in any city in, in an empire, like the Austro-Hungarian Empire or the, the Ottoman Empire, um, You'd, you'd be used to being in a, in, a, in, a, in a place where there are several nationalities. And that's, that's the Ottoman, late Ottoman cosmopolitan mode of, of, of living in a, in, in a way. You, you lived in a city where you, you walk in the, in, the, in the souk and you have different food, different clothes, different religions, different... Uh, so the people are mixed, but in the evening in cities, they go back to their quarter and they can do, you know, they, they have security and uh, more or less they, they lock the, the gates. You have, so you have a Jewish quarter and you have a Turkish quarter and a European quarter and Armenian and the Maronite and uh, whatever. So, so that's, that's the, the mode of life where diversity is normal. It's so you'd not, rather uh, use the word diverse or diversity yeah. than sectarianism. That's the... Sectarianism is a negatively loaded word by people who assume that you should not have an identity other than the homogeneous identity of a citizen. They are all similar. You have to be homogeneous. In fact, it's, it's even worse than that because the, the French mode of secular or laïcité, which which the which the Turks adopted on that it, the, you homogenize society <clears throat> because you have a diverse one and you and, and you homogenize it now in Turkey this meant 
getting rid of the Armenians and the Greeks and crushing the Kurds and and uh, uh, making sure that anyone forgets their their origin and having a very rigid history book and civic ed education book in 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 the schools and universities and if anyone diverts from it they are uh, traitors i mean i know i know a professor at brown who was who lost his job and got kicked out of his university because he was questioning the official version of, of, the, of the state. So we don't have that. Some people want that. I, I heard you discussing it before, that they want an official version of, of, the, of the history. But I, I, I don't think it, I'm, I'm not for, 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 for such an official version. of. Uh, okay, so in that sense, we'll zigzag back in time. We'll go back and forth. From what you're saying, that there are certain years that stand out in this sort of fairly quaint Mediterranean village that becomes a jewel on the Mediterranean, the late 1940s until the late 1950s, early 60s. No, until the 70s. Yeah. Until the 70s. But let's say that that 15 year window that you described earlier, where you have banks that are multiplying families that are seeking their fortunes here. People bring their assets from all parts of this part of the world and they settle in Beirut. Yeah. To the point that, and I know it's almost anecdotal to say this, this is the only country in the Middle East, aside from Israel, its Jewish population increases yeah. post-1948. So these are Syrian Jews, Iraqi Jews, Egyptians, all types of communities mm. that prefer being here rather than Europe or elsewhere. We've had this back and forth in private, never shared this on the public. So I think it's a nice yeah. way to introduce a bit of a debate. Sure. Those years to me, the 1940s to 1960s. 70s. Yes. 1970s. No, I'll tell you why 70s, because it, there was an important date where the PLO moved to Beirut. To 1969. Yes. yes. Uh, 1970, when they were kicked out of Jordan also. Right. So that contributed a lot to to, to what the city became. Yeah. But those are years, my understanding, and I don't think it matches what you what you would say, is that this is the closest Lebanon ever got to being a country. Meaning enough local agency, enough domestic agency to quell a 1958 civil war that lasts three months rather than yeah. 15 years instability in the region that becomes mainstay, including wars. I mean, the Arab-Israeli wars, including 1967, a major devastating... 56, 67, 73... Right, but even 67, which is the most important, let's say, of those wars, not one bullet is fired mm -hmm. across the Lebanese-Israeli border. Yeah. And I know it's equally anecdotal to mention this all the time, but it's important. Gamal Abdel Nasser doesn't come to Lebanon. Right. He meets Fouad Heb on the border yes. with the United Arab Republic, Egypt yeah. and Syria combined. We talk about these things all the time, mm. but I think they are key momentous. They're key important ingredients of why Lebanon seemed to function to a degree in those years. I refer to sovereignty. sovereignty. Uh, yes. Barki, the whole podcast as well. Yeah. I refer to independence too. Yes. And I refer to what feels like 
a window of neutrality to regional war. Yes. You don't. No, because it was not sovereignty, it was not neutrality, and it was not a window. It was a, it was, it's, <laughs> it's a mode. I, I lined it up perfectly for you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a mode of life that has been disappearing from the whole region and remained only in Beirut. And it's been disappearing in Beirut gradually. I mean, this is normal course of history. People, you what know, do you mean by a, mode of life in that sense? The mode of life is the the sort of Ottoman cosmopolitan type of uh, uh, diverse coexistence, which existed in mainly in, in which made cities prosperous in places like Alexandria, Smyrna. Aleppo, uh, Adana, uh, and who are major uh, trading posts and major cosmopolitan cities, which became homogenized in the 20th century. And homogenized is a light way of describing it. They were really ethnically cleansed and, and, uh, and uh, forcefully homogenized. And the remainder of that mode of life came and Beirut became the center of it. So, so again, it could be just an accident. It's like, it's like if you, you put, have you a, put no credit to the institutions that were built here at that I time. I give all the credit to the institutions that were here, all the credit to the ideas of the first generation of Lebanese who were the builders. Who were the what? Sorry, who were the builders of the of the, the of builders? The, yes, mm. who who created that environment, whereby if you were in in Alexandria or Smyrna, and you wanted to go somewhere, you would think of Beirut first. On, on. So, so th th they have the credit for, for it. For it. Like, like now, people are yeah. going to Dubai because Dubai has the environment for people to, to, to live. And but there's two things here, and I think they don't necessarily line up. We have a national pact that's a verbal, at best, yes. understanding of power sharing that's been written down to a certain degree, but not fully. And that's, it's real. The national pact lingers, even when Lebanon is collapsed. We still have that pact in the ethos of Lebanon. But we also had, at least the way I see it, a state that could defend itself enough from falling prey to regional problems. That's my understanding of the 1950s yeah. and 60s. And when it doesn't, 1958, which is important, it doesn't. Lebanon is at technically a civil war. It is quickly put back together in a way that is less regional and international and more Lebanese for a moment. I, I put sovereignty in the equation, but I want to know why you don't. Yeah. No, I'll tell you, look, Enta, you like stories. So let me tell you a story, okay? If you were, and this is a real person I'm talking about, if you were someone called Antoine Catafago in the, in, the, in the city of Akka in the 18th century with a ruthless uh, ruler like Ahmad Basha Jazar. Ahmad Basha Jazar had a, a treasurer and an advisor uh, um, called Haim Farhi. 
الحين فرحي had only one eye and was missing an ear and was defaced because when Ahmed Bashar Jazar wakes up in the morning in a bad mood that's what happens to people around him that's the kind of person you're talking to so how do you function as a trader in a city like this you you get through the Ottoman system you get protection you get there's the Ottoman capitulations which allows foreign countries to give protection to to uh, citizens who are affiliated to them in, 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 in a way so when Mr. Kadafago goes to see Ahmed Bashar Jazar. He wears all these medals and he wears a saber and the muskets and all that. The saber and the musket don't protect him. What protects him is the medal of Saint Dimitri and Saint Ignatius and Saint Francis and whatever, which tells him that you can't mess, tell Jazar, you can't mess with this guy, he's protected by Russia and Austria and France and Sardinia and, and all, all, all those people. So, so um, when the Jazar feels that the protection is reducing, he will demand more uh, money from, so from the, the merchant because... So the word is protection? You it's protection, yeah. So basically, Lebanon was called the Merchant Republic in a, in a way um, because it was it behaved like a like a like a like a 19th century merchant and in fact all the 19th century leftover merchant families from the regions are the ones who came here on, on uh, so then why do those deck that that window why is protection part of the story I see. because because you have uh, so the, that generation of Lebanese elite, which I called the builders, used to have a feel for it. They used to have a feel for um, French protection was weakening, British protection was more was more they could uh, go to. And in the in the 1940s, they felt that both French and Br British protection were was was useless at, uh, because they were they were losing their power and they 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 seek american protection so 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 in a way lebanon was lebanese sovereignty and the result was a kind of sovereignty but lebanese sovereignty was a result of western protection so this is not neutral when you have a, when you have a world polarized between between two superpowers, mm. uh, neutrality means you have equal relations with both. We had, we were neutral because we were protected by one side, which is basically the Americans and the Europeans. So and, you're referring to 1958 and the consequences. And, and later, and later, yeah. why did the why did the multinational forces come to Beirut in 1982 after Sabra and Shatila and uh, this is a form of protection. When they left Beirut after the, the explosion of the of the of the embassy, the American embassy, the, the French embassy, and the and the, uh, the barracks yeah. and and all that, they redeployed and, and left Beirut. They left. This is the lifting the protection. This beca Beirut became open, and this is when you have regional powers trying to fill the vacuum. There was 
Saddam Hussein was supporting part so, of. But before we go too far into yeah. the more recent, let's let's. But, but, but you can. Uh, yeah. What I'm trying to say is that you can almost pinpoint the hour and the minute when that protection was lifted, and when that protection was restored, and and it depends on the wisdom of politicians at the time to uh, to judge how much sovereignty they could have so and someone like Amin Jmayel who realized that protection was off went to visit Damascus with Hassan Twaini and with uh, so before so, we go in yeah. the 80s the war let's I want to yeah. really understand this window because yeah. that's the window a lot of us talk about mm. on all sides of the aisle if you will so the political class yeah. from civil society to the traditional opposition, to even the regime parties, they often refer to that golden era, 1950s yeah. and 1960s, and maybe the earliest of the 1970s. There's a nostalgia, mostly, for the experiment that worked. You, I want to just get this right. You put the, the, the success has less to do with Lebanese and their agency has more to do with America and how it saw this country? No, it was their agency that brought the protection. It was their agency that brought protection. You can, you see, you can get protection. I mean, if you're Kuwait, you can have an army. Yeah, you can buy arms, you can train, but you can't have an army that will protect you from Iran and from Iraq and from uh, and, uh, all, all these big, big countries that are around you. You, you are your sovereignty as as Kuwait relies on American protection. Yeah, a, a, a slip of the a slip of the tongue or a hesitation by the American ambassador in 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 Baghdad uh, uh, gave Saddam the, the the impression that he could invade Kuwait, and in two days Kuwait was gone. You see, so so Kuwait will never be able to have an army or a resistance uh, uh, b strong enough to protect itself from Iraqi and Iranian uh, uh, it, it relies on a balance on ba it's a balancing act so you see and, really and Lebanon had a, did Le Le Lebanese diplomacy um, and Lebanese even economic policy was part of the balancing act because the economic policy attracted all the wealth from the region. I mean, um, so lo local policy attracts economic gain and it attracts protection. Deliberately, de deliberately, you, you, you have your, your uh, diplomats are there working on uh, building relations. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Charles Malik was was sent to the United States for that purpose in in, in the 1940s. Uh, well, on, on, let me now get into yeah. more contentious territory. A friend of ours, uh, a good friend of ours, Makram Rabah. Yes, he was on another podcast uh, over the weekend. It was brilliant, actually. Yes, on Saturday. Yes, yes. He puts some blame, not all, on this experiment that you're describing falling apart the moment Lebanon inherits a group like Fatah. 
Yes. I want to see if you if you agree with that sentiment that this experiment, a fragile experiment, the way you describe it, local agency bringing in the best from the region, and like you said, ensuring protection from abroad in a way that matches diplomatically. Diplomatic. Yes. Do you see the end of that story to do with a group like Fatah in Lebanon, or do you see it differently? Um, well, first of all, Makram comes from about the same school of uh, that I that I come from, which is the Kamal Salibi. We, we, we all spent evenings, endless evenings, with Kamal Salibi, and and uh, he taught us to to doubt everything and demysti- demystify all the all the myths, and that's why. He, he caused such a, such a storm because he attacked all the all the the myths that people have about 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 Lebanon uh, on that and I think he enjoyed it and it's it's fun I enjoyed it I enjoyed it too because you need to upset the, the cards from, from from time to time now um, I I disagree with him that that the Lebanese kept Killing, killing each other after, mm. after, after, afterwards. But, and, and he says that there were several phases of, yeah. of the war. I think after 1984, um, when the multinational forces left and when Lebanon was in a way exposed, there was a regional battle to contr- to fill the vacuum. And what what you had was certainly not a sectarian war. It was because it was within each party there was a, a pro pro Syrian and anti Syrian group, and the anti Syrian ones were kicked out or killed or you know, the, the camp war, the camps war, was the the Syrian factions of the Palestinians, uh, the camp uh, with Amal. Uh, t- uh, kicking out the PLO and Fatah to uh, basically to two camps in South Lebanon, Rashidi and Berjishmeli, because there's li- there's like a, a line at Zahrani where the Syrians can- that the Syrians cannot cross on on uh, uh, without clashing with, uh, with with Israel, and uh, the camps were were c- controlled by Syrian. Uh, proxy uh, Syrian Palestinian factions so it's a chase from, for protection from, and and in the, in the same thing Hizb al-Awmi was split uh, Murabitun was split Hizb al-Kataib was was split uh, it was Hizb al-Kataib was taken by uh, was taken by the, the close to Damascus factions uh, uh, th- those who were uh, were in exile on, on, on uh, even uh, I mean, we can go on forever, but that's, well, you that's see, what happens. You see groups looking for protection as paramount. Because with the way you're describing it, it has less to do with regional war. It has more to do with Lebanese groups that can't agree on the source of protection. No, what you have is you have a stable country when there is protection. Basically, there's a line drawn there which says, keep off. It's not neutrality. It neutralizes it from the from the uh, conflicts, but it's not neutrality as we understand it, a la Switzerland or mm. or or uh, Austria, mm. yeah, and and uh, it's held together by this social pact between people, which is not 
nothing new, which is the way they've lived forever. I mean, there were, in Beirut in the 1830s, the, the municipality had a council which was divided between Muslims, uh, equal Muslims and Christians, and later Mount Lebanon, the Mutsarrifiya was a uh, commission which had representation from all the, the the, uh, it's the mode of life. This is how we lived forever. On, on uh, and uh, so, so when when there are problems in the region, and and we are, of course, we are affected. But if you if you consider that we, we fared much better than others, Yani. And when, when there were problems in the region, the regime in Syria collapsed just like that. The regime in Iraq collapsed just like that. In Egypt, just like that. We had a bit of a crisis and we got over it. And it well, how do you judge the, the uh, validity of, of a system? It's, it's, it's ability to survive crises and, become, and come out stronger so from, in our from case, the crisis. Since we did not survive crises, and we came out weaker. No, not really. No, I mean, uh, sometimes, I mean, any system is bound to collapse in, in, the, in the end on, on, on uh, but we, we did. Uh, let me tell you why we're, we're, we're discussing this. We're discussing this because we have had total collapse in the country and you have a new generation questioning the system from its beginning. And no, and no, El Balad It's it was a mistake in eighteen in nineteen twenty, and it's it's not a real nation, and it's not uh, you know you, you know you're familiar with uh, with that. So that's why that's why we're we're discussing it, and I think it's it's important to to have this. It's part of the evaluation of of uh, that the new generation is go is go is is going through. But if you look at 1920, when Lebanon was created, um, nobody wanted it. Yani half the Maronites didn't want it. The Sunnis didn't want it, especially Trablos, Jamiatak from Tripoli. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not a secret. Uh, 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 the, the Orthodox didn't, didn't, didn't want it. Look at it a hundred years later. There, it's, it's, there is a, a much stronger identity. There is no rejection of the of the no, entity. The last is, century, Nadine there is far been... more. There's far more nationalism in Lebanon now. You know, flag waving. Or, or, uh... No, but this, the the last century of Lebanon, if you look at the trajectory, yeah, Lebanese nationalism, if that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. There's a shared identity that we're all Lebanese. That's true, yeah. but. I find it harder and harder to defend the system that goes into crisis every 15 years. That no, <laughs> no, no, not that. It's because I, yeah, no, it's forget the 15 year sort of marker. Okay. Because people do that all the time. That's true. Yeah. It's more that if it's not simply external problems being fought here, if it's not that the PLO suddenly becomes based in Lebanon. And, and if it's not that the Syrians are here or not here, no, the PLO. And, and sorry, I'll just go yeah. one step further. If it's not with or without Hezbollah, forget all of that. Are you able to deliver that message that power sharing the way we do it, the national pact, all it needs 
is consensus from within to have international protection and regional prosperity. Is that all it takes? And that's something we haven't done right in the last half century. No, we've done it right. You have to, you have to look at the regional context. You have to look closer to the microphone. Ah, you have to look at the... At the Ryan, can you move it? Yeah, yeah. Ah, is Nadeem, this? put it in your mouth. Because <laughs> I can barely hear okay. you from here. Ah, really? There, there we but go. That's, that's... You have a good voice. You should celebrate okay. it. Yes. Um, um, microphone. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, we've gone through real crises. You know, there were real and legitimate crises. And when the PLO came here, there was a significant portion of the population that welcomed them. That were that were I can give you names of it. It was not just the Sunnis, as people say. It was you know I can give you names of people who were members of the PLO, who uh, in, in 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 Lebanon, uh, and and it was at the time when there was. Uh, revolutionary fervor in the whole region, in the whole world, actually. The whole world was including campuses in the United States, campuses, you know, 68 France and student movements in England and, and everywhere. It was, a t it was a time of revolutionary uh, fervor. In, in, uh, and uh, Beirut became this... <laughs> Beirut became the center of that. Beirut attracted people you know we've discussed it before they attracted people from from uh, Ireland from uh, Germany from Italy from Dofar from Iran the uh, the Iranian revolution was affected by its its uh, exiles that that were here in fact they were the ones that built the revolutionary guards trained with the PLO in Palestinian camps in the, in the, in the 70s here. Uh, and they interact. Imagine a two-party system, but two cocktail parties. One cocktail party is the cosmopolitan merchant, uh, corrupt, uh, debauched, uh, joie de vivre one in the Saint-Georges Hotel. And the other one is the Global Revolution Party, in Fakhani, okay, at the PLO, in the PLO yeah. state of, of Fakhani, with uh, where Iranian revolutionaries were rolling spliffs of uh, hashish with uh, the Badr Meinhof gang, with the IRA, with Latin American, uh, uh, you know, Sandinistas and uh, Topamaros and and all the and uh, Vietnamese and they were all here. Uh, the, 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 because Beirut became, uh, by design of uh, Abu Jihad, uh, Khalil Wazir of the PLO, the, the, uh, a global center for uh, revolution. On, on, uh, <laughs> in, and and uh, so that was, that was a major crisis we went, that was a major split we went through. And a part of the reason why it became like that was the freedom that was that we had so so basically the plo could not have had a state within a state in in egypt or in syria or in iraq or or anywhere else this is where 
it had the freedom to to, to, to act. So, so that, we that, were in tune. Yeah. We we were in tune at the time with global movements. That level of freedom. And if you look, if you if you question any of the people who participated in that period, they've revised that history. There's something about the the conversations I have with everybody. Yeah in civil society and in most political sort of outfits, they blame the system. Yes. But you're not making the case, I think, for the system itself. You're talking about almost like it's an ideology, almost like it's a, it's a verbal way of understanding that is more important than anything like state control or, for that matter, complete domestic agency it feels like it's almost a we have to have a shared consensus as opposed to a state yeah but that that how does that match yeah yeah, sorry how is that what sorry how does that match where most protesters are and most people expressing their what they feel like is a failed experiment well, you know, I mean, the protesters now have to really revise their their, their narrative in, in a sense, because what made Lebanon prosperous was a power sharing system, a banking center, uh, uh, freedom, and uh, and uh, uh, a small army. <laughs> if you want, we 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 kept the army the army at bay and. Um, they want to abolish the banking system. They, we had political parties in Lebanon. Yeah. So if you ask a one of the uh, October 19 protesters, 17, 17. October 17, yeah. 2019 yes. protesters, they, they want to abolish political parties. They want to abolish it. it was uh, they, they want to abolish the banking system. They want to abolish power sharing and, and they want a strong state. So you cannot if if this if ideas change an order that exists is a reflection of the ideas that that support it if if the ideas change the order will change we will have no banking we will have no political parties uh, we will have no 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 power sharing system we will shrink and become just another uh, dictatorship maybe or uh, well, I'll try I'll try to defend the other viewpoint which is yeah. I don't think they're trying to abolish the banking sector no, but they uh, are, sorry sorry yeah. they, they want to hold renegade banking gone wrong to account at least to a degree I think that's yeah. really where the momentum is and when it comes to political parties I don't think they want to abolish political parties i think and i i could be wrong here i think they want political parties that are less sectarian in quotes in quotes meaning and these are usual examples we always give yeah yeah the lebanese forces is just a little too christian whatever ishtiraki is too druze uh future the future movement but the yeah, I think that's where a lot of the protesters, <laughs> yes. when at least when they were describing what they want long term, I think they wanted political parties that match their interpretation of what Lebanon should be. Yeah. So I don't think it's trying to become almost Marxist or for that matter totalitarian. No. Yeah. Right. 
But that doesn't match, I think, the experiment that you describe as a success story. No, it doesn't. And right. it, it, so basically, let's be a bit realistic. I'm, I'm not really a historian. I'm a historian of, of ideas. I mean, uh, my, yeah. if anything, and yeah. my, 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 what I studied was history of economic thought. So it's the story. Basically, when you have a set of ideas, they create an order built on these on these ideas ideas are very very important in, in that the the post world war two world was built world war one world was built by people who came out of world war one and the post world war two world was people who was built by by by, by that so we are now in a complete change of mood and ideas and another order will result from it and this is not something bad or good or it's just different places um, cities and civilizations evolve either because of the ideas around it or because of accidents of history the example i always give is the town of ma'an in jordan the town of ma'an in jordan is the last outpost before the desert so it used to be a, car a, a caravan uh, stop, the last caravan stop uh, uh, to, to, to the Hijaz and from the Hijaz. So the, the caravans from, uh, in, in during the Hajj, you had the caravans from Istanbul, from uh, Damascus, from Cairo, from uh, Jerusalem all meeting in uh, in Ma'an and going. So Ma'an was a prosperous city since Nabataean days, since the days of Palmyra and Petra and Balbak and, and all that, because it was an intersection of, of routes of, uh, you know, the, the Hijaz railway used to used to stop there. And that's what causes a city to flourish. Now, when the, uh, when this stops, and it did stop because people started flying by, by uh, to, to Jeddah for for the Hajj, and and uh, they started using the Suez Canal to to travel instead of crossing the desert and mm. and all that. The city dies. So Lebanon is experiencing. Something so Lebanon similar. was an inter Beirut was a dead city. It became the intersection of caravans, mm. and now. It's on its way either to going back there or or uh, dying again. It could die again. I mean, if you think of, so cities do die. I mean, it's not, uh, they're not never, I mean, of course, Petra is an example, <laughs> but also Alexandria. If you go to Alexandria or to Izmir in Turkey, it's nothing like, its heyday mm. when it was the richest port in the Mediterranean, mm. when it had all nationalities in it, and, and all that. so Beirut for a time encapsulated that old world, mm. and it became very prosperous. And um, it's no longer that, and it could disappear completely. Uh, uh, if uh, if it's people, if this is what they want, uh, I mean, 
and it's nothing to do with corruption or with or with uh, you know when when Ma'an was the intersection of all caravans in, in the whole region there were more corrupt merchants there and there were bigger brigands and there were people who swindled travelers and there were but it was still prosperous when it's dead even if they they all are pure and uh, pray all the time and they uh, it will not it, it has nothing to do with the prosperity of of, of, of the city uh, 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 so Beirut we could be living the last generation of Beirut as as we as as we know it and there is nowhere else in the region that replaces it in the same in the same way um, and this is how history evolved before this we get is, into more very recent terrain. so I am when when I counter the yeah. narrative it's because because I think that narrative of the self-flagellating one which says we are sectarian and we are corrupt and we are no good and or we should abolish political parties and abolish banks and abolish whatever you know the whole uh, uh, this is uh, suicide and this is how uh, I mean, Arnold Toynbee you said that civilizations are not killed; they they die by by suicide because they lose. The I mean, even Ibn Khaldun says that Ibn Khaldun says that uh, they uh, uh, they lose the will to fight and they 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 sort of disappear. There's okay. several articles on very recent events that you wrote about, uh, topics that you wrote about. I want to get into them. But before we go there, are you in any way able to define Dubai yes. as that kind of place today? Of course. So Dubai is inheriting yes, that except role. for one thing, which is freedom. Right. But but it was explained to me by a f friend from the UAE um, MF in the in the military. And it makes, I mean, in their perspective, it makes complete sense. Um, their example was Beirut. They wanted to become like like like, like Beirut, so 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 they became the hub that they are by design. They had the ideas that, and and what they are now is a reflection of these of these of these that's ideas. That's a very key ingredient to Beirut. Freedom is lacking. Free, freedom is not lacking in Beirut and Dubai. Free, yes, freedom is lacking. So the way he explained it to me was that they they saw that Beirut collapsed because of because of too much freedom. They, that's their interpretation. And because they are a minority, they're basically ten percent of the population. He told me, imagine if we allowed political parties to emerge, we have. Ethiopians from Eritrea, from Tigray, from Angadim, from, uh, we have Somalis, we have uh, Iranians, we have Indians from Kashmir and from uh, uh, Pakistan. And imagine if they, they used us as a battleground like Beirut was used as a battleground in, the, in those days. So that's, that's what's affecting their, their, the, the, in, in a way, the, the, the social 
contract they have it's it's a very open society they, they i mean they they uh, they agree, they they've they welcome every, everybody but the 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 pact they have with them is no politics because that's what they are af afraid of but i think that this makes them poorer exactly and yeah. neither extreme version of either one seems to be where protesters were trying to demand for something better i don't think they're i don't think anyone's trying to sacrifice their freedom in return for more stability and i don't think that version of stability no, there is we, we 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 went through this we we there's like a pendulum that goes so we were complete uh in the 40s and 50s we were for almost complete freedom we were we were against army against uh, state control against taxes against everything 58 was a shock to the system and it brought appetites for um state control mm. so so we tolerated for 12 years the army control the deuxième bureau which interfered in everywhere and uh, in, in, uh, and and um, restricted freedom and it, there was corruption and there was everything because of the Zion Bureau but we tolerated it because of because we felt we needed that by 1970 we rejected it we 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 we, we overthrew that system democratically in an election and uh, instead of hanging the generals, we send them off as uh, military attaché in Conakry or somewhere far. <laughs> but we, we, we had that, that change and it probably, uh, at, it was probably at the time when we did need a, a, a form of state to control the, the influx of the, of the PLO. And we had a problem we, we had a battle with the PLO in 73 uh, on, on, on that. So uh, so let's take that yeah. and go to where we are right now. Exactly 50. So we emerged from, from, in 1990, we emerged again with an appetite for control. And we rejected it in 2005. It's the way you look at the markers that I look at every day. You yeah. see them almost like it, it's an inverse version of how I see it. It's your fault. It's my fault. That's no your problem. <laughs> you're absolutely right. I, think, I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a good answer, actually. Um, no, you, you, you see, uh, let, let me yeah. say, 50 years later, in yeah. 2023, yeah. after the PLO and the state, if you will, <laughs> In a way, the state is on its last legs. The way you, the way we understand it, that mm. Fuaj Heb era yeah. is voted out. The way you, the way you described, and the PLO and regional war becomes mainstay in Lebanon. Yeah, half a century later. This, yeah, tell me. Yes. Okay, but while you're saying this, yeah, what was happening in the rest of the world, and what was Beirut becoming? Beirut was with the rest of the world. You had revolutions everywhere and revolutionary fervor for change everywhere, and Beirut became the center of it. So that, that, that that's a key point of of under, and it collapsed under the weight. Yeah, it collapses under that weight. Yeah, 
half a century later, everything that we've been through in this country, the good and the bad since then, the end of the civil war, the Syrian occupation, the economic boom turned collapse, where we are right now, 50 years later, mm-hmm. feels more like anarchy, a degree of lawlessness that increases over time, a state that no one turns to for anything, a per- paralyzed state, no president, mm-hmm. technically no governance at the moment. No parliament. No parliament. No government. N- uh, no functioning semblance of what should be a country called Lebanon. Yeah. Generator fuel all the time. And a, a slowly dying society that either withers the storm or runs away from it entirely. You've written articles that I think capture this, this moment, and they're all on Arab news. And there's one article I want to get into, although you always defend yourself, and I'll, I'll speak on your behalf here. Yeah. You're not a psychiatrist, I know that. No, definitely not. But you wrote an article as if you were a psychiatrist. Yes. <laughs> and it's called, Lebanon is not resilient, it is traumatized. Yeah. Could you define that word in terms of the Lebanese context? What do you mean by traumatized? Um, that's what I was trying to explain that how can a society be totally under totally paralyzed and under control of and and uh, of a militia basically and not resist anymore they <clears throat> and um, i'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist but i spoke to friends who were in new york and uh, and elsewhere and Basically, we are a, ba- a, a battered state. We've we've had. If you look at the 15 years, the past 15 years, what, what happened? 17 years now, 18 years. It started with assassinations. I was here during the assassinations. I was in and out from from London. We were paralyzed. We were. Uh, MPs were afraid to to walk the street because of assassinations. They you know, remember they huddled in the Phoenicia, yeah. tough life, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, every time a door slammed, we jumped. And you had, at the same time, you had a major war, provoked, provoked. You had an occupation of the city for 18 months. You had an attack on the city, which burnt TV stations and uh, uh, newspapers, and and uh, it was a brutal attack on on, on 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 the city, a rape of the city, if you like. Um, there was uh, after that we we were imposed a paralytic agreement with the militia, basically. Uh, that gave it complete control of uh, uh, the government through, through parallel Doha, Doha. Doha yeah. and uh, even yeah, you can continue but, uh, but uh, even with uh, winning the elections in 2009 by the time the government was formed and, and all that there was a coup and the coup was not a coup it was a constitutional it was not, but it was by violence a Walid Jumblat Walid Beek, I'm sorry, was threatened. He admitted it and he explained it. He was threatened, and and that's how the the Hariri government went went down. And and on top of that, you had 
you went then into another period of 29 months of paralysis to force us to accept the candidate that Hezbollah wanted uh, without a government, without a parliament, without a president, with a uh, crisis in Syria that's happening, with continuing assassinations, with a, a diplomatic crisis with the Gulf states, which on which we depend a lot in in economically and and, and all that. Um, <laughs> it can go on and on. So with, you see, there's a series with, of of episodes of violence post civil war that yeah. leads politics to be not post civil war. Post civil war between 1990 and. 2005, 2004, you were, so in that article, I, I described that period as a, it was like a compromised state, yeah. you know, yeah. when, when, when a system is compromised, means it's been penetrated by, so the, the Syrian, the, the post-civil war, um, between 1990 and 2005, when the, the anti-Syrian politicians were still in exile, uh, on on uh, uh, including Kamal Shatila, <laughs> and he was, and and uh, uh, we were penetrated by the Syrian proxies and Syrian establishment. Every party was ruled by its Syrian proxy. Every even churches. It's exactly like <clears throat> like in like in Syria. In, in Syria, bishops are appointed by the Mukhabarat, not by the patriarch. <laughs> and and uh, muftis and uh, uh, so it's the church, it's every ministry, every institution. We were a compromised state. The result of that compromised state was um, an economic cost, probably a bit like VAT of maybe twenty to thirty percent. And you had to take into account that as a as a, as a cost. <clears throat> but the, tra the trauma itself, in, beginning in 2005. 2004. 2004, late 2004. Yeah, which, we, I'll tell you how it began. How it's, uh, <clears throat> so, in 1990, you had the Gulf War to kick Saddam out of Kuwait. You're the only person I know. I say 2004. You take me back to 1990. No, because 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 <laughs> because 2004 is the end of a period that started in, in 1990. But I, as much as I yeah. can, I want to hone in that, on the traumatized section of recent ah, yes, history yeah. that you you're able to, in a way, narrate political paralysis takes over. Yes, and it and a society is traumatized, and there's obviously a reference to the port blast that almost seems like it's the final straw. You talk about paralysis often in that article, yeah. so trauma and paralysis go hand in hand. Yes, meaning politics cannot function the mm. way it used to, and the state is dead. Yeah, and there's no sign of progress on the horizon. Yes, right. that's where psychology psychologists have some explanations. Yeah. So if you are in an abusive relationship <laughs> where you're constantly battered, yes, the, uh, the abuse starts uh, 
uh, gets used to this and they, they almost start feeling they're made to feel that it's their fault. And you can see it here. People feel that the reason why they collapsed and, and they were battered is because they were it's their fault. It's their fault. We have something organic in us that is uh, uh, irreparable and we deserve what, 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 what we got. And then you have the abused, uh, you know, it's a sort of version of a Stockholm syndrome, if you like, yeah. uh, thinking that uh, uh, um, the abuser is right. In 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 uh, and and we deserve what what you have, and then another way of explaining it is the compromised state. Again, is the, is the uh, uh, it's like in Latin America, the Latin American the, the way the way a drugs cartel, you know, El Chapo Guzman or or Escobar control a place it's gradual one day if you if you're on a border post you have to let them through if you don't let them through you're dead if you let them through the second day they'll come in and give you an envelope of, with a thousand bucks in it you're compromised you become part of the system and those who do not join the system are um, Dead or exiled or, or 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 whatever, and they 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 operate by um, by uh, extortion, by uh, threats, by framing, by uh, it's a, it's a well known pattern. And would you would you put everyone that's been involved in the Lebanese political arena as compromised? That, that's still around, not yeah. the ones that have packed up, not the ones that were killed. The ones that are still part of our day-to-day -day life. Do you put all of them in that camp? Um, yes. In a place like, so in a, in a country like Mexico or, or like Colombia during, during the, the worst times of, of the, of the uh, cartels, everybody was compromised. Everybody so, so compromised. If you make it Lebanon. Either passively or actively. Let, let's put Lebanon on the table. So Riyadh Salemi compromised. Absolutely. Absolutely compromised. Saad Hariri in exile. He's the most compromised person. He's the most compromised. Yes. Nabih Birri. Well, Nabih Birri, I mean, if you want to look at the history of... Uh, now you're going you're gonna to get no, me no. into trouble. No, no but I'm, what I'm That's, trying to get at is that even nominal opponents... You see, Nabih Birri is from the Amal movement. The Amal movement went through a three-year, very brutal war. Against Hezbollah. Against Hezbollah. That's true, yes. In which the compromised person remained right. who could, who could, whom they could deal with. So what I'm trying to get at is that even the opponents on the political, people that are always at each other's throats are all compromised regarding the same problem. It's a systemic compromise. Systemic yeah. compromise. Yes. The article doesn't really offer what the future looks like. It kind of... I don't know what the future looks like. I don't want to be uh, a macabre and a fortune teller or be very bleak and tell you, no, it's over. Well, because <laughs> No, because the reason I ask you is because I really think that you're... A, the, because you have an appreciation for... of uh, there's, there's certain ways of looking at Lebanon that are unusual. And I think you do look at Lebanon in a very particular way. 
that's less governance it's less systemic it's more really ideas at the end of the day that's yeah that's can you my, see an idea or a group of ideas that harken back to lebanon's better days emerging no what no. i can see now that is the dominant narrative which is suicidal and very dangerous and which will be the end of lebanon as we know it There's if you want me if you want me to commit suicide by on twitter sides tomorrow <laughs> but this is what i see this is what i see in the in the slogans of kallon yani kallon and the in in people who uh make an equivalence between uh, uh hezbollah and iran and saudi arabia uh b- because we have to be sovereign and we have to be independent and we can't be you know you have to be closed and not have relations with anyone and no, that's absurd on 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 uh, and uh, uh we're not naming names of course but uh, um He was last week's guest on that. Yes, on the he was last week's guest. But I forgave him. I he forgave did. him because he of what he said on the tribunal. But, uh, but uh, I mean, we were offered the truth on a plate by the international community and the, and the, with the tribunal, and and we ignored it. Then Why? Let, then let's li- let's lump that yeah. into the other articles I wanted to wrap it up with. Yeah, there's two in particular. I the thought f- nobody read my article. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm the only one reading them. <laughs> They're good, though. That's why you're here. <laughs> one more recent article. Lebanon needs help with Beirut port blast probe. Yes. This is the internationalization that never happened yes. regarding the port blast. Uh, there's one a little earlier, the Paris summit. Can Lebanon finally be protected from the region's conflict? Yes. Which is really what we've been talking about. That's right. And you've written earlier not just the last few months you've written this for years on end the merits of the special tribunal yes and we've explored this together on panels we've mm. been talking about this for the better part i think of 15 years at least this yeah. is really how i got to know you so yeah. that kind of story we have what you describe as a traumatized society a paralyzed politics and a lebanon that may kill itself that is in the background and we have articles being written and calls for something like the internationalization of the port blast yes i'm going to make a wager here that there's no internationalized port blast investigation happening absolutely not okay so we can safely assume yeah will stay at home and this is the end of the story i think that's a that's a i think that's a likelihood that is already happened it's a possibility also have the special tribunal for lebanon's verdict that was issued three years ago or so two and a half years three years names were offered three names are known yes the fourth is dead yeah i think it's safe to say as well several are dead several they, were, are dead. they were named and they report yes yeah sorry several are dead one is known to at least be alive and probably here Salim Ayesh yeah. and yeah he's a hero he's a hero <laughs> on that side absolutely yeah. and I think it's safe to say he will live his better years without prison term or anything like that okay so the verdict d- delivered the name and that name will not be in jail or serving any time I think that's also a safe to say assumption add to that there's not going to be any IMF deal 
whether it's a return to Paris in the past or an economic lifeline ala Saad Hashem's dreams and desires <laughs> or whoever is going to be president, Jihad Azur may want it to. I think it's unlikely there will be an IMF deal. Is it's that, too late. For I mean, it's, I think it's too late for all three. Yeah. So can you put this in perspective? You see a population that is also demanding for fundamental change. Are you able to give them any credit here that, that they want not the death of Lebanon? It's not the death of the national pact per se, or the death of diversity or pluralism. It's not that. Bella. It's more that they want the state to finally work and give it... They want an Ataturk to come, uh, you know. Uh, the, the, it's, it's, it's been mentioned many times. You think yeah. the, do you think in, the, in, in these articles and the protesters on the street, they're trying to get a dictatorship? I think it leads to it. It can lead to, to an acceptance because, because of the complete collapse. Uh, it can lead to an acceptance of a strong uh, person. I hope not. And there was, there were many candidates, of course, and uh, one of them in particular was kicked out <laughs> by his own people in the end. Who were, uh, uh, Sorry, uh, what are you referring to? Which no, I'm referring to a movement that called openly to be handed power. Oh, you can say Shab and Nahas. Yeah, sorry, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was... <laughs> um, also a guest on the podcast. <laughs> yes, of course. No, that's a very charismatic uh, guest also. On, But but um, let me put, put it in perspective of what we've been talking about. Between 1990 and 2004, Lebanon was under Syrian control, and the Syrian control was started gradually from 2000, from 1984 onwards. If you look at the pattern, it was in the same way as what happened in, 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 in Syria. Towns would be surrounded, bombed until they submit, and then you move to another town, you know, Zahli, Zgharta, Ashrafiye, and all that. That's how they established the control between uh, in, in those six years. And for 14 years, there is no mention of Syrian presence in Lebanon on any level. Even even when it's mentioned in, you know, you, you talk about Samir Asir uh, often. Samir was a, was a very good friend. I once met him in 2002 in in Rome, I met him in Rome airport, and Samir is an amazing representation of what Beirut Beirut mm. is because he's mm. half Syrian, half Palestinian. He's from Ashrafiye and French passport, French passport. Yeah. He's yeah. he's one of, and and uh, and uh, we were sitting outside smoking a cigarette <laughs> outside the airport, and and I get a call from Hassan Twaini, and I tell him I'm here with Samir Asir, and he says. Ah, yes, the last Maronite, who we will, Matran Audi, are the two last Maronites in Lebanon. <laughs> he described them as, uh-huh. as, as the two last Maronites. So, going back, you have. Samir Asir was not Maronite. Though. No, but no. Nor, nor is Matran Audi. Matran Audi, yeah. yeah. So, they, so the last, the the last, last love. I see. The, okay. last, the last political Maronites in The last in, political in, in, Maronites, right. So, you have that period where we were completely under Syrian control with 
no one listening if we complain. Yani Shirak came in 2002 and supported Assad control in Lebanon. In, 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 uh, yeah. Now, until sometime in the afternoon on the 5th of June, 2004, when Chirac and Bush met in Normandy, after two years of divorce between Syria, between France and the United States, when the Americans were eating freedom fries and throwing good wine, wine. down the drain, down the drain, um, Chirac offered Bush a, a, a pact. He said, okay, let's patch it over on Iraq. But if you're really serious about democracy in the region, why not Lebanon? And that's how 1559 was born. I, I met the French diplomat who found a dossier on her, on her desk the second day to start negotiations over 1559. So that's the return of protection. Symbolically, that's the return of protection. So between that date we, and if you look at the year and a half later, there were something like 16 or 17 UN Security Council resolutions on Lebanon around that time, establishing the investigation, the tribe, the the STL, the you know there were 1701, 1701, all yeah. these suddenly protection was back so these that lines up into that larger story of protection so the so the, so the international tribunal is part of protection right so then fast forward it to today you would need all of those security council resolutions to be implemented they're not going to be implemented because protection is off protection is off yeah. so that is the backbone to why you see lebanon so b b falling. yes because because the the role of diplomacy in lebanon is to maintain economic relations, international connections, which which give you the which give you the protection. When you have a foreign minister who is the only, which which makes Lebanon to be the only country in the whole Arab League to vote against condemning the burning of the Saudi embassy in Iran. What does that mean? What, what's the consequence of that? Consequence is cry, complete cutoff from, from the Gulf states. And that's when you, you start co collapsing. You and I lost our deposits because of what happened after 2019, not because of what happened before. Because of the lack of capital control, the lack of uh, uh, measures to to uh, prevent uh, uh, the the, the, the uh, reserves draining through subsidies, because and and because of uh, you know we we uh, we lost it from paralysis and we reached there because of paralysis. If the usual suspects were almost entirely paralyzed pre two thousand nineteen, they yeah. were completely paralyzed after. But and they're blaming each other. Now you see, people are blaming the banks, banks blame the central bank, central bank blames the politicians, politicians blame each other. <laughs> if we're going to be fair, I think they all deserve 
a part of the story, at least in terms of yeah. n- none of these people, I think, are innocent in this story. Yeah. And my sympathy, my sympathy remains to the groups that were chanting three, four years ago. I think, I think at the end of the day, they don't want that absolute reversal of the Lebanon that you hold on to. And I think it's, I think it's just a recalibration of so many years of this nightmare. They need to figure out what they really want. The, the, the empty slogans, and they're actually, they've, they've deflated. They're no longer on the streets. They, they, they're, they're, I think they're completely lost. Well, that, that maybe it's too soon to see that <laughs> yes. happen. Nadim, thank you for a back and forth. <laughs> Let's give the audience five minutes to use the restroom order. But I'd like the audience to challenge Nadim thoroughly in the Q&A. Okay, thank you. this Q&A to be intimate and I want it to be worth your time because Nadim Shahadi is really a gentleman with his time. I've learned so much by reading your articles but also by just talking to you and I think uh, it's a real benefit to Lebanon that you still in your own way uh, pontificate, write, reflect regularly. I think your voice is rare, your voice is rare but it's necessary. So I want you Thank to be diplomatic and hard. Uh, they can't. They can't be worse than you've been with be me. Be worse than me. Be sweeter than me. Do <laughs> ask anything you'd like because Nadim is an open book. So is there anyone who has? Yes, Samira. Hi. Let's just get the mic. Ah, hi. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Ali, my question might be too shallow. That's, uh, what do you recommend to read uh, to understand the historical and political um, fabric of what we call now Lebanon? Um, and I, I, I think uh, House of Many Mansions, the okay. Kamal Salibi, yeah. definitely. So it confuses you enough to think in, in different ways. Okay. That's, okay. that's uh, so and Kamal if you want Salibi. one book. I, I'm a sucker for books, so hey, I don't well, mind. I know, yes, so, so. am I. <laughs> but, but no, if, if someone asked me to recommend one, one, oh, one book, okay. especially a Lebanese asked mm. me to recommend one, one book, I would, I would. A local narrative on it. Yeah. Okay, yes. thank you. I also want to plug her. She's a fantastic tour guide. Absolutely. Thank you. And I, I, I know I'm not supposed to label you a tour guide. No, uh, it's it's basically I'm uh, layers of, of a tour guide and used to be a librarian. And now I'm, I'm a tour guide and I'm studying it actually at the university, at the Lebanese university. There's a whole major. They have a good tourism. department. It's a good department. Yeah, tourism yeah. guidance. It's, it's run good, yeah. by uh, Dr. Zena Makki. Yeah. So, Check out thank her you. green line tour. <laughs> 
Yeah, layers of Lebanon. Thank you. You know, I'll tell you a story. I'm sorry, I'll steal the mic for a second. Well, no. I, I lived in Kamel Salibi's music school. He had a music school on Sadet. Had There's that parking lot that's right next to the police station. It was a two-story music school that was once called Jerusalem House. It was a prod- uh, a missionary hostel yeah. for pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. And in the storage unit in the attic of this building, we had records of people traveling through Beirut in the 1930s. Kamal Salibi, I used to, I, I got to know him as a result of that school. And he showed me on, on his wall, his Ikhraj Eid, Yes. With a line right through his religion. Yes. <laughs> it was just, but it's not him that he didn't do that. Ziad Barut did it. I can tell you a story about that. Um, I was in Oxford and I was called by Talal Hussaini. And they, th- they told me, he told me, Nadim, we couldn't get in touch with you. It was before WhatsApp and Facebook. But we put your name on a petition to abolish the. Uh, uh, sect from from the register. But then I came back to Beirut and they had a meeting where they were all saying that they abolished it. You know, they were going around saying, I'm Flynn Lufleni, I'm Greek Orthodox, I took it off. When it came to me, I said, I'm Nadim Shahadi, I support you all to abolish it, but mine is okay, I'm a Protestant. And he was Protestant too. Right? Yes, he was. Yeah. Other questions? Uh, Take advantage of this. You really should. <laughs> Even friends of Nadim that know what he's going to say already. Well then? I think you've exhausted everyone. No, then I'll, I'll refer to what you said right before the break. You said Nabih Berri is better than Nancy Pelosi. No, I was not, I mean, <laughs> you know, word for it word. Takes, <laughs> let, 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 me, let, me, let me put it this way. Yeah. <laughs> it's every, every um, uh, profession or has a, uh, requires a certain type. Yeah. And no, and no, uh, you need a minimum of narcissism. To 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 write a PhD, مثلا, and and uh, and think that you're going to solve the problems of the world, and and when you put all these narcissists together on a campus, it sort of multiplies. It's, that's why academics are, 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 and and it's the same with politicians. It's <laughs> there is a minimum of uh, uh, corruption, narcissism, trading, whatever, especially for those who survive. So Nancy Pelosi has been. In Congress, longer than uh, Nabi Hibri. That makes her worse than Nabi Hibri. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I think she has more. She, she may have more money, more money. But she, I, I didn't say worse. I said she's been longer. She's been longer than. Been than, long, yeah, than technically, than, yes. Than, I think Joe Biden as well. Uh, uh, He's yeah. been in politics longer than Nabi Hibri. And and you know, people say that uh, we, we have to learn. Uh, we have to learn. Uh, uh, you know. You often refer to AUB and Ras uh, Beirut uh, and all that. And AUB was started by the first president was Daniel Bliss. The, se- the second president was his son. The third president was his son-in-law. 
<laughs> and the 20th president was his great great grandson something like that yes. that's true yes uh what's his name peter dorman absolutely yeah so, but i mean saddam oday yeah they're not really daniel bliss and daniel bliss no Jr. of course not no definitely not definitely not but what i'm saying is in the uh, no in the, uh, uh, Qazafi, Saif al-Islam, Daniel Bliss, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm being too hard on you. That's true. You know, you mentioned Ras Beirut. I had an episode recently with Muna al-Halla. Yes, I haven't heard that one yet. She's the staunch, second to you, maybe the, the proudest Ras Beiruti I've had on the podcast. Yeah. I still think of Ras Beirut, maybe less so right now. But if you stretch it over time, I think it's the kind of ideas that you're referring to during the episode. Ras Beirut is not really about bureaucracy or about municipality. It's about, I think, the experiment you were talking about earlier. And it's a microcosm of something that you, I think, you yeah. cherish. Yes. But who was Ashrafi? Ras Beirut was... Uh, Haifa, basically, it was the transplantation of Haifa, which uh, built uh, Ras Beirut and added to several layers of people who were there before, the missionaries, the, the uh, people who came to work with them to build the academic community, the professors, and, uh, uh, you know, there was... Uh, Plus, of course, original uh, inhabitants, original families. Um, so, Ras Beirut, if I were to, it's it's what Haifa used to be uh, in 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 the forties. Uh, you know, we are in Jimmaze speaking in English. It would have been unheard of fifty years ago. <laughs> it's so so Ashrafiye. Uh, 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 is the, the the reason why 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 people in Ashrafiya speak French is because if they spoke Arabic, they would speak in very different accents to to, to each other. Yani they, they, you 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 have Aleppans, you have Turks, you have uh, Egyptians from Scandaria or from Cairo, you have the uh, Messines, you have Iraqis. Uh, Armenians, or they, 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 they've all elected to speak bad French to each other to, to, and, and read Lorient Le Jour instead of speaking with their different, different accents. On, on. It's a myth that it's because the, of the Maronite relationships, relationship with King Louis, whatever his name was, and uh, that, that we are Francophone. Uh, fra Francophonie evaporates at a hundred meters altitude. Yani if you go to Hazir and places like that, they don't speak, uh, or, or Zgharta, they don't speak French. So, so um, Ras Beirut was built by a, lo a lot of, um, is, if I want to encapsulate it, it's, it's the, uh, it's two things. One of them is, uh, what Haifa used to be, a transplantation of, of Haifa. And, uh, you know, with the IPC, with uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of the... Com you like stories. In the 1940s, Edwin Abella and Albert Abella were in Haifa. 
they were working with the British administration there. Pe a lot of people went and worked there. Their sister, Nancy, came to visit them and they were walking on the street and they passed by the Palestine police headquarters, by the, by, next to the canteen. And the smell was awful. The smell of, uh, that came out of the canteen was awful. And the sister proposed to them, why don't I offer to run the canteen for them? And that was the beginning of the biggest catering uh, company mm. in the whole world. Mm. And it ended up in Rasmirut. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, uh, th that's one of the st stories that, multiple stories like that. Mm. If you look at corporate Lebanon, it's, they all come from, I think it's your, uh, uh, corporate Lebanon is, is, a, is a accumulation of such stories. CCC, Darl Handasa, CAT, uh, all these co big companies are uh, have regional origins. Same with banks, same with industries. Same. If you want to be a social scientist, if you want to label science to your, you should be able to do la la laboratory experiments. Mazboot. We did we did one in. Um, uh, in Europe, we built a wall in the middle and we saw that people used to cross the wall on that, uh, that way. Nobody used to cross the wall to go to, to go to the east. In Lebanon, we, did the, we had the same experiment. You had gradually secular, strong, laic, homogeneous, nationalist regimes springing in Egypt and in Syria and in Iraq and, and people ran, left them and came here rather than the other way around. Nobody listened to uh, listened to the to the radio and said, "Wow, the Ba'ath have taken over in Iraq. Let's go there." Or <laughs> or or Abdul Nasser has taken <laughs> has, has uh, overthrown King Farouk. It's going to be a secular nationalist society. On the contrary, it was Beirut. The system here, with all its faults and uh, and uh, advantages, created the prosperity that at, and and attracted and created the circumstances that attracted all these people that created the prosperity. AUB, in itself, I AUB is, of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean AUB. I mean AUB for me is represents American Arab relations far far why is this what's this sound noise I don't know uh, Ryan maybe I don't know something's with his mic maybe no, I, I think it's your mic is it my mic I don't know is it my mic hello hello no. is it yeah AUB I mean American Arab relations are not represented by Donald Trump meeting Abdel Fattah Sisi. American Arab relations are 200 years old this year when the first missionaries came to, to, to the mm. Ottoman world, yeah. to Beirut, where they came, went to Malta and whatever, and then they came to Beirut. Um, the, America was it was not what we what we think it, it was it was like more more like Raqqa <laughs> you know they were they were more like a Taliban state at the time they were they were the people who came here were the worst 
bigoted Puritans you could think of. They were they were becoming more intolerable in in America itself, and they, and, and they came here. Sorry, the missionaries. The were... missionaries, yes, they were fundamentalist Puritan uh, uh, bigots, basically. On, on, and and th they learned a lot from us. We, we we taught them as much as they as they taught us, and they mellowed here in in in, in a sense. And what they used to send to Amer missionary uh, uh, journals were very popular. They were. Missionary reports were as popular then as National Geographic now is, or or the Discovery Channel, or people used to read missionary accounts to l learn about the world from. from the, so th so it was it's a relationship that lasted during the American Civil War, during uh, the Nahda here, which uh, the Renaissance Arab Renaissance, which is partly due to them. Um, they are the, their output uh, constructed the whole region. The the relations between that between people that was created through that process is huge. Think of Aramco, think of Bechtel, think of all the uh, all the companies that that came and the Lebanese companies that were full of AUB graduates and. Uh, uh, so we, we, Ras Beirut, represent American-Arab relations far more than the states that exist now on... on hmm. uh, um, yeah. Are there other questions? Yes, please. Uh, yeah, just get the microphone. Thank you. Um, you mentioned the uh, Greek-Lebanese uh, relations, um, yes. especially Lebanese people right now moving to Athens. I also saw a lot of posters like "Buy your apartment in Athens," right? And I'm and I was really confused, like what, how, how come this connection? I know that a lot of Lebanese people went to, or I think especially Maronite uh, went to Cyprus. But how come that connection with Greece at the moment? There's nowhere else. <laughs> Where would you go if, if, if you... There's an exodus from Lebanon. Mm. Yeah? Um, companies and families uh, are leaving. Um, uh, in fact, a lot of the people who have moved to Athens are families who are living in Athens. They buy, they buy what is called the golden visa. Uh, you buy an apartment for 250,000. It allows you to get a residence, and they they they, uh, they still work in the Gulf. <laughs> the, the, wow. So the the husbands work in the Gulf or work international. Like Beirut was like that in the last few years, the last 10 years probably uh, before the crash, because the economy was uh, completely dead already because of the high interest rates too. Uh, Beirut became the the uh, dormitory and where the families were and where schools and hospitals and all that and uh, the fathers or the breadwinners used to go to the Gulf or to Africa or to Europe or to the so so uh, uh, a lot of companies were acting regionally but doing their transactions here their banking and their 
education and because uh, life is better here than it is in <laughs> other places and still is be better on uh, s relations between people uh, it's a very small place everybody knows everyone so quality of life is good but it became unbearable in the last few years and people are there's an exodus um, it takes a long time for a city to die i think alexandria took 15 years it uh, and uh, that's what's happening in, in Athens. People are going, actually the destinations are Athens and uh, uh, Lisbon, because it's the easiest to, uh, they're the easiest to get the golden visa and, and uh, people are investing there. And, and, yeah. that's, uh. Can I ask you a question, Nadim? Do you feel Berlin has in inherited something that Beirut had? seems like there's a lot of mixing of Lebanese politics. <laughs> it's and, so interesting. Uh, in, in I, I was, in, I was in Berlin in December. Yeah. You have whole areas, <laughs> new areas that sprung in yeah. New Köln and all that. Yes. Where, yeah. Where you, you feel you are in a mixture between Damascus, Baghdad and Beirut. And, sure. Uh, that's the sort of cosmopolitan part of, of Berlin. No, but even uh, aside from actual demographic sort of uh, yeah. Lebanese living in Berlin. I mean, in terms of academia, too. I, I know a lot of Lebanese that go to Berlin and bring back ideas now from Berlin. I hope they bring the right ones. <laughs> <laughs> or it seems yeah. like it's almost a, it's a Middle Eastern hub. No, too. it is. It is. Uh, Berlin is becoming a European hub for not just for Lebanese, for uh, tech, mm. for entrepreneurs, for artists, for and uh, uh, the rents are cheaper in Berlin than than uh, people are leaving London and Paris and. But even in the uh, arts and sciences, I mean, they have anthropologists that come to here from that get, they're they're educated in Berlin, sociologists, political scientists, yeah. all that is because of, of the uh, Orient Institute here. Right. On, yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there we have time the, maybe for uh, yes, please. Let's just pass the mic to him. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, you told us many stories, and uh, you talked about uh, history. Uh, what about the future? How do you see Much. Lebanon <laughs> in the next few years, not in uh, 30 or 50 years? Yeah. And the answer is very simple. I don't know. <laughs> because it could go anywhere. It could go either way. No, we are now in a period of change, and period of change is always unstable, and and then it will stabilize, and people will still live here, and they will not be aware of that they live in a worse place or better place because it'll be a, a normal normal. And the people who live in Smyrna now are not aware that Smyrna was the richest port in the whole Mediterranean. And and now it's uh, nothing <laughs> compared. So a new order settles. It could be better or it could be worse. I, I don't know. We are in a period of change. That's for sure. And it's regional. It's the change is regional. Of course, of course. That's why I'm saying. Hey, and, uh, and all, all possibilities are, are here. Yeah, but but we have we we definitely have agency, but we we also could be committing suicide. That's <laughs> William, the owner of Alias, has a question. Yes. 
I have a question for him later. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't want to ask my. <laughs> this seems like a lot of pressure. Um, we've spent a lot of time talking about the past, and a lot of kind of, I guess, uncertainty about the future. Yeah. But. It, at what point do we just need to start thinking about the future rather than focusing on the past? Because there are certain things in this country which every single person can agree on. We want 24-7 electricity. We want someone to pick up our rubbish. We want yeah. women to be able to walk through the streets and feel safe. We want education. We want reasonable internet. These are, these are things that, which aren't sectarian. And we spend so much time talking and talking and talking about all of the problems but at what point does it just need someone and who is this person to say let's stop talking about this and actually say you know in, in the way that dubai has has kind of almost usurped beirut in terms of this place which is you know it's safe and why does my wife want to move to dubai because it's safe like yeah but that was what we always liked about beirut that that it was safe and it was open why are we why are we so kind of caught up in this idea and this idea and this idea and trying to work out in this very granular way what is the issue rather than saying what is the future within the 21st century which is very different to 1960 or 1970 or 1980 absolutely like, why are we not doing this it's not that it's not that different there will always be places that rise and places that fall and uh, uh, this is this has been this, the case for thousands of years. I mean, you can, you can. Uh, I mean, Venice, uh, Genoa. Uh, you know, there, there are uh, Florence. <laughs> there are places that that prosper and places that that collapse. Dubai, Dubai is not uh, is usurping Beirut's role. Dubai is Dubai because of the wisdom of the rulers, because of their vision. You know, Abu Dhabi and the Sharjah and the Qatar are jealous of Dubai and trying to emulate it. They have a vision that, allowed, that attracted all kinds of people, all kinds of businesses, uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's prospering. We don't have that anymore. We used to have it. We don't. We will disappear. They will rise. The there's mic. no. There's no. Now the you're talking about. Well, let me let me let me let me end with this. Muhammad um, Shatah, Ronnie's father. I went to visit visit him. Um, a couple of months before before he was killed, with Hassan Ghaziri, who is sitting here, if you remember Hassan, and he told us that he was discussing that thing. He was very optimistic. He said, "We are in a very positive discussion with Hezbollah. We are very frank on the table. We are uh, we are uh, and and uh, what he was proposing to them was." Okay, we will not. We will never agree on certain things, like on America and Iran and Saudi Arabia and whatever. But why don't we make an effort to relieve the population from suffering because of that? Let's at least make sure that 
uh, we, we, we pick up the garbage and there is electricity and there is less corruption and that uh, the traffic is better and all that. There's no reason for all these things to stop because we disagree. Uh, so it's not, it's not, what you're saying is not a new, a new it, 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 it didn't work, of course, because they didn't. <laughs> Um, there's no reason for. And what's it? Sorry. And what's it? Uh, blackmail, paralysis, the hunt, the country taken hostage, uh, wars, declaration of wars, uh, pa uh, 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 stopping parliament, stopping go government three uh, years without uh, between 2005 and now we've yes. had more than 50 percent of the days without with, with in total political vacuum with no decisions being able to, to be but, taken. but i guess then to kind of a comparison say between israel where they've said something like 6.7 percent of the population out in the streets protesting yes. yeah and that's led to change yes and in 2019 we had something like 25% of the population. And 2005 too. In 2005. So yeah. why is it not leading to change here? And that's, that's the thing I don't understand because, you know, something like, well, under the age of 25, you've got something like 90% of Lebanese people have tertiary degrees. There's an extraordinary level of education here. There's an extraordinary level of education from both people in the country and people who are leaving the country. Yes. So, so what is stopping this country? Like, and, and at what point is talking about all of these kind of ideas, the secretarianism, at what point is actually that kind of destructive to moving forward and saying, you know what, we are uh, a country which can, can look forward rather than look back because we're not living in 1960s anymore. We're living in 2022 or 2023, yes. sorry. Like we, we have like, there's, there's a future to look forward to. And there's so much potential in this country. So why is it not utilized? Uh, Do you want me it's to? A, it's a good question. I, I, maybe, I... maybe I should answer William about my experience in London because I'm more of a Londoner than I am of a Beiruti. I lived in England for 38 years, and I saw the boom. I mean, when I got, when I when I arrived in London, there was no olive oil in the supermarkets. We used to go to Boots and buy olive oil that they use for removing earwax we used to buy it's very important use for olive oil <laughs> five milliliter <laughs> bottles to make the bullets and i saw london being transformed from from that into the most cosmopolitan city in the whole of europe and uh, the magnet for all the millionaires and billionaires in the world uh, the financial center uh, arts music anything you you and now it's gone why people's ideas change and when their ideas change there's a reflection in their their their, their surrounding and that's why i insist or i uh, uh, put more importance on the way people think than on 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 actions I know the question was not necessarily for me, but I mean, it's when I look back in time now and I think of all the 
all the things that you just described going back 18 years in time now. So starting really in 2005, I think if you're going to one day look back and try to find all, all the separate reasons for why every single attempt failed, and if you could put the onus really in one area, I think it's that something within us that started in the Civil War continued. And I think that can be best described as what the Civil War could do to any country and that there is a group that still plays by those rules. It's not a bunch of peaceniks trying to debate ideas. Sometimes it's pandering allies to that problem that agree on things, but for the most part, it's opponents that stand in the way of that group that get killed on the way. And this conversation, which had nothing to do with that subject, we've mentioned at least four people that have been killed by that group. And I think that would put a burden on any society that's trying to find the leadership role you're describing. But mind you, that's four of at least 13 common friends that stood in the way. The other option, and I don't know if you would agree with this, Nadim, the other option is to do what Lebanon did before. Fatah was dislodged from Lebanon in the most violent, brutal way possible, civil war. And I think that could end the PLO in Lebanon. It could also end Hezbollah in Lebanon, and it will destroy Lebanon again. That's right. The other two scenarios that seem to be part of the discussion, which is where we started, the idea of divorce has taken hold. It's not something that's left to the margins anymore. People talk about it as if it's a fait accompli. You're going to have a Christian canton that starts in Batroun and ends in Jamezi and maybe goes to Bsharri. People talk this way now. That's, that's a scenario. Hezbollah is weakened on the way too, but Lebanon dies. The other option I think is the hell that we live in. It's 17, 18 years of exactly what you just described. The best people in this country talk hours and days and years and decades about the same problems over and over and over. If you remove that element of Lebanon, if you end the civil war once and for all, you don't have Assad's barrel bombs parked in the port. You don't have Syrian refugees as a consequence of Hezbollah in Syria. You don't have many Lebanese that tried to do the right thing dead. They could be in their prime. There's no reason Samir Asir is dead. There's no valid reason for why that voice is gone let alone his colleague Gibran Twaini, the son of a friend you were mentioning earlier. No reason why he's dead. You brought up my father. There's absolutely no reason these people are killed, except for one group playing by different rules. I'm certain about this. If you get rid of that problem, I think sectarianism, the way you described it, Nadim, I think it's probably going to stick around with us until Lebanon dies or lives. It doesn't matter. It's but not, it, but it's it will, not sectarianism. Sorry, sorry. Uh, power sharing, confessional power sharing, communal arrangements yeah. based on compromise. I think that would reform over time. I think the electricity sector would go back to the way it should. I think you'll be able to drink from the faucet again. I think you'll be able to see a choo-choo train parked in Madam Chayo turn into a proper train. Albert last week talked about public transport. We're never going to have public transport in this country. It's not because Lebanese can't do it. It's because Lebanon is still stuck in the civil war. 
but we get used to it. And that's what I took from your piece about trauma. About? About trauma, your yeah. article about the tra traumatized society. William, your bar was destroyed because of that story too. There's no reason why Alia's is yeah. destroyed other than we're still a battlefield and, and it's funny actually my because my wife is a psychologist so ah. but i did have an argument with the other day and i said um but i think i think that's you, the story at the end of the day and uh, I, you've been told you're resilient for so long that you've started to believe it no, but let, 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 and, and let that's me, something i think is sad about this country that you've been told you're resilient no, and you start and, and you're traumatized everyone here is traumatized yes we are traumatized this bar is traumatized by the explosion like it's taken us three years to somehow kind of stop thinking that we have to survive we have to survive and actually how can we grow how can we and i, and I think if i'd been here i wasn't here so i think i can come back and you know from the outside and say this is how we need to grow and, and that's an outside perspective it's very hard being here and kind of constantly being told the future's bright and then something happening and feeling yeah. extraordinarily deflated which is what i guess you feel probably about 2019 but it, but at some yeah. point something needs to change otherwise this country is going to die um let, let me let me pick up on what let, let, let's end this, sure. on this we can end it here yes the divorce uh, the, the, the the divorce in disguise, they, what they call, what people are calling confederation or federation. Oh, federalism, or usually. Federalism or... or but mind or you, it's not fringe voices. These are academics. No, no, These no. Are, I know, I know. Yeah. I think it's part of the suicide because, because it'd be the end of Lebanon as we know it. And uh, a, 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 a federation uh, does not, uh, the components of the Federation do not necessarily have control over international relations, over international politics and, and trade and, and all that. That's, that's usually centralized. So it's, uh, for me, the talk of federalism um, is sectarian. And no, the talk is sectarian. It's not that the people are sectarian. Eh? And it is that we, we can't live with the Shias anymore. Let's separate. And for me, they, uh, they are far more victim of, of Hezbollah than we are, in, in, in a sense. So I, I don't wish it for them to be under the control of Hezbollah and for me to be separate from uh, living, living in, a, in, a, in a bubble, because that's not Lebanon. That, that, that's not, so, so it's, uh, I mean, if, if you look at how, the, how Hezbollah impacts their lives, it's far worse than it impacts our than it impacts ours in, in uh, and, and do we not need to re-envisage maybe what Lebanon is is that not something that we can start to do I think it's uh, that's that's a road that that's worth going down if we're to blame for these things William should be your next guest maybe he will be actually <laughs> no but I I mean we grew up under Syrian occupation uh, I don't think you can blame Lebanese for that I think maybe it's I'm not, I'm not blaming, I'm just saying that do we not need to re-envisage what Lebanon is? You know, it's, it's this dysmorphic idea of something and no one quite knows what it is and you have your idea and you have your idea. Well, honestly, this is, I think, why Nadim and I debate that issue of sovereignty and independence because I think of that as the key component and you don't. I know. And those are, I think, that's where the debate is. And some people think that secularism is the key component. True. Abolish secularism, khalas. Yeah. Yeah. William, next week? 
<laughs> next week, yalla. <laughs> I, I have next four weeks. <laughs> Five weeks time. <laughs> Five weeks, you're going to be here? All right. I know this was a very long episode. I know the yeah. conversation was not the most structured. You have to edit it. Well, we'll find a way to edit it. I think the camera's dying too. But if I can recommend one thing, read Nadim's articles in Arab News. Get to know Nadim Shahadi better. No, invite me for a drink. Invite him for a drink. Get him drunk. <laughs> it's even more fun. Get him drunk. I think you're the last Ottoman of Lebanon, and we should celebrate you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Nadim. <laughs>